Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Okay. So, August snuck up on us. And that's, uh, that's okay. So, couple things we want to go over tonight and someone remind me that uh, we need to talk about next week specifically but we'll do it at the end uh, to make sure that everybody hears we're going to have an opportunity to, uh, to bless Juliana and Joshua so we'll talk about that in a second so what I want to talk about tonight um, is what it means to be a a tzaddik in a in a real way. By that I mean, what does it look like? What does it look like on a day to day? I had an opportunity to meet uh, uh, somebody new last week week before, and uh, we had some time to spend together, and he asked me the normal questions. Are you into sports? Not really, no. But I can name the teams that are here in town, I think. I just may have trouble figuring out which sport they are, but I, I know the names. He laughed, and he goes, you're kidding. And I said, uh, <laughs> no. <sighs> and he said, uh, yeah. He said, uh, did you uh, did you see that article in the paper today? I said, uh, no, I don't. I don't get the paper. Because you don't get the paper? I said, yeah. I've, I, I found it to be a waste of time. So he he moved he moved on to another another thing, and uh, he goes. Uh, you know, I just I just saw an episode of, uh, and he named something, and uh, he said, uh, did, you, "Did you see that one?" And I said, uh, "No, we don't have a television." And, you know, and his his head just kind of goes over, and he said, uh, "You don't have a television?" I said, "Yeah, we it's 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 been about twenty six years, and you know we don't we don't have a television." And uh, he said. Uh, what do you do? And I said, well, what do you mean, what do I do? What do I do for a living? Or what do I do with my free time? Or, or what? And now, see, he's intrigued. Because he wants to know what my life is like. He wants to know what I do with my time. Because a vast majority of his time is taken up with data coming in from the world. Now, I'm not trying to even imply that I think that that's something that you shouldn't do. That's not my point at all. Um, although too much of that and not filtering it in some way is certainly an overload beyond um, some better things. But 
as I'm uh, as I'm reading the uh, the sages, and I'm I'm looking to these great men of God, um, as described by other men in the past. I look at their life, and it seems extraordinarily simple. They spent a lot of time studying the Word of God, praying to God, and then ministering to other people. And really, there's not much other time left. They may be ministering to their families, they may be eating a meal, but there's not a whole lot of other things that they're doing. And I, and I just, I'd like to get you to just start this conversation a little bit, and we'll go to the scripture in a second. When you think of one of these sages, like in the back half of this wall from uh, uh, 1,000 to 1,500, or any of the sages that we've read about or studied um, from the Master's Day at 1 up to 1,000, I mean, it, there's 1,500 years worth of stuff. What, uh, there he is. What do you see in these lives? What are, what are their lives composed of? Short of breathing and living. Psalm 1. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Okay. So, he's delighting in the law of the Lord. What does that mean? What's it look like? That means he lives by the book. Okay. And I understand that. What does that look like? I'm looking for day-to-day activity. What's this guy look like? Pick a guy. Any guy, what's it look like? I would, I would say number one, I think. Uh, compassion. Okay, so a compassionate man. What does that mean? What does that look like? It looks like someone stepping in uh, to meet the needs of someone. As well. Okay. Now that's interesting. Not so self-absorbed. I, I, I'm surprised that uh, you categorize that as compassionate. I would categorize it maybe as generous or something like that, but I think more of compassion being an emotion that motivates me to a different action. But I hear where you're coming from, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I think of it in light of uh, when the master was by the seashore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was moved by compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me see this um, as an important character trait from the, uh, the prophets. Because oftentimes the prophets are, are uh, criticizing Israel for not showing a certain degree of compassion, particularly for the poor. That's a big. Right, right. And even though, I mean, I, I get that part of that is. Um, Generosity, which is a core core principle, but also important is um, like if you look in um, it's Isaiah 58 on the fasting, and it talks specifically there about um, not hiding yourself from your brother. In other words, it's like yeah, this idea. 56, I think, isn't it? 56. Yeah. I get those two confused. Yeah, so do I. It, it goes beyond though. It goes beyond just giving things. Okay. But to the point of actually like even giving up yourself as a presence or or your your ability to talk or share or Okay. Um, to bring you up to speed, um, I'm chatting with a guy, met him for the first time, and he's 
uh, he thinks I'm just extraordinarily weird. Right. And I won't even go into why. You already know why. So, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get us to describe the outward walk of a tzaddik. Specifically, looking at the sages that we're reading about from the Master's Day, if we want, just as an example, to 1500. Or even Ezra, all the way around, right? 2,000 years, what does this study look like? What does, what's, what is he characterized by? I'm reading about these guys, and they seem to spend time in prayer, time studying the Word, and time ministering to people. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of other time for anything else. And I'm wondering, what do we see these great men of faith doing? I understand what they feel. I understand what they love. Compassionate, but what are they doing? What's it look like? 58. Is fifty-eight? I thought fifty-eight was the uh, eunuch and the Gentile. That's oh, see, like I said, I get it mixed up. But you, good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. I always pictured that on just the walk from the house to the home at the house of study and back and forth that this man would be very preoccupied surroundings in looking for ways to help other people. Looking out to see if there's a poor person on the road that he can invite with him to come home for dinner, or on his way there looking to whom he could give charity. Don't we know a story about a guy that was on his way to a talk and he got punched he got punched out by a guy in a bus or something like that? Or he got blessed out, and then he turned out to be the guy that was giving the speech or something? That's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> that's the story of the Chofetz Chaim. The Chofetz Chaim, that's right. Yeah, tell the story real quick. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. It's classic. It's classic. To me, the moral story really relates to, from my perspective, to how, in one way, how you can look at the Jewish people to the side. But the story is, the Chofetz Chaim is, you know, this is 18, late 1800s, right? Chofetz Chaim lives in a small village in Poland somewhere, and he's asked to speak at a at a gathering in the next couple cities away. Right? Yeah. So he gets on a train to go to the city to speak. So he gets on the train, he sits down next to a, to, a, to another gentleman. They get into a conversation. This gentleman says, have you ever heard of the Chofetz Haim? Chofetz Haim says, yeah, actually, I, I have, you know. And this guy goes on and on for like the next 15, 20 minutes or so, just going on and on about how great the Chofetz Chaim is. He's such a great teacher, and his team, you know, blah, 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 you know. It just goes on and on and on, not realizing, of course, that he's sitting next to the Chofetz Chaim. This was before TV. Right? So, <laughs> they all look the same. That's right, right yeah. His yeah. beard, you know, what are you going to do? I've seen the paintings. I've so, seen the Chofetz Chaim, being the exciting that he is, he wants this gentleman to kind of talk and go on and on and on. So, finally, the guy comes up for air. Hopetzheim can kind of say something. So Hopetzheim says, well, you know, I, 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 I do know a little bit about Hopetzheim, and, and I really don't think he's all that. You know, I don't think he's quite the way you describe him. Well, this gentleman gets offended, and he's like, what? How dare you, you know, disrespect the Hopetzheim, and, you know, and starts kind of laying into him, you know, stands up, Slaps him and walks off and go gets another seat somewhere else on the train. Okay? The whole time 
time, not knowing it's the whole of the time. They get to the city. They get off, right? This guy is in, in by the way, the, he's telling the whole of the time. The conversation came up because he says, I'm going to this meeting to hear the whole of the time. That's how came, the whole subject of the whole of the time came up, right? So he, they go to the meeting. This guy's in the audience. And all of a sudden, you know, the moderator... This guy with this red space on his red spot on his face. And he comes walking out onto the platform, and the guy sees him and realizes, oh my gosh, I'm sitting next to him time, and I slap him. So you can imagine, you know, his sense of dread, right? So after, the, after this meeting is over, and after the whole time gave his speech, teaching, whatever... This guy's like, I've got to go find him. I've got to apologize. So he finds him after the meeting. And he comes up to him at the time. He says, I had no idea it was you. Please, please, you know, forgive me. And, and, the, and the response that the Chofetz Haim gave him was just classic response to the Zadik. He, he, said, he said, look, don't worry. He said, why would I be upset it's someone who's defending my honor. And, and there it is. The story. And to me, that is, a, I think, a cool way to think about Judaism and their Messiah, mm. whom they don't recognize and whom they have stood up and slapped in the face. But yet, because he's a Zadik, and because they feel like they're they're defending his honor, yeah. and, and they are, you know, in many cases. It, to me, that's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. picture. All right. So yes. Well, when I think about this time, the word that comes to mind probably more than anything else is humility. Yeah. Um, immensely humble man. Um, I think also Hillel as a man of he had an like Yeshua, he had an an impressive balance of grace and strength. We see this man, same man who, you know, the, the, the convert comes and says, teach me the whole Torah and standing on one foot, and he gives him, like, two commands, and Shemite smacks him. So, like, you know, so you see that Hillel has that grace, but at the same time, Hillel is classic because he argues with Shemai all the time. Right. So we see, right. like, this balance of, he, he seemed to recognize when it was right to be strong and to be tough, and when it was right to be gentle. And, and, to, and to sort of meet and merge those in each occasion. And then we see, like, I, I know one of my all-time favorites is um, the, uh, of course, the name is like, my mind working at 12-hour day, um, modern guy, the singing rabbi, Karbach. I read with, uh, an excerpt of stories of his life, and um, an excellent, excellent book. Um, my dad's got it. And in his life, you see just this overwhelming sense of compassion, of humility, of generosity. I mean, he, he made a point when he would give charity never to give a beggar like less than $5 because he felt like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't do them any good if it was less than that. And there's, I mean, there's a hilarious story where he comes running to one of his other like shulmates asking for a loan because he just met a beggar and it was out of money. So, I mean, he's, he's got this amazing sense. I remember there's a story too where a man comes into the shul on Shabbat and he's got like a pen in his pocket, which not only is he carrying something on Shabbat, he's got a writing instrument, which you can't even use on Shabbat, so it's like double whammy. And some con uh, congregant comes up, and they're all upset. How dare he come in here like this? 
And the Hofe- and the um, Karlbach response is like, well, you know, how great is it that a man obviously doesn't know how to keep the Shabbat? Is here keeping the Shabbat with us? So you see this um, phenomenal sense of humility, and yet at the same time he is resolute. He walks all night yeah. on a Friday night yeah. in the rain because he refuses to drive on Shabbat. Yeah. But he does it with a happy face and. He ends up getting on the radio. And he the one that showed up with the whole crowd behind him? Yeah. He gets, he gets, a, he gets this audience that just follows him all the way down the highway or the, the, the road. Um, and then the guy actually, doing like a disc jockey, gets in his car and goes and finds him because he hears about this, this wandering rabbi and ends up you know putting him on at like midnight or whatever else. And um, They show up at like 7.30 in the morning, do the Shabbat evening like service, like eat the meal, and then do like morning shakarit. So he's got like this, um, he's got yet an amazing sense of stamina yeah. and endurance. So I, I think when I think about all of these men, when I think about all of these men, um, I see men who are um, steadfast. I see men who are uh, gentle and who are incredibly humble. And I think if I could think of maybe three characteristics that really seem to define them all, those would be the big ones. Okay. Um, wasn't Carl Bach the one that sat down with the hippie that sat on the floor? Yeah. Yeah. Um, keep in mind, I don't want characteristics. I want to know what it looks like. Uh, I got brought you. up in his, in, in his law, he meditates day and night. That's one of the things that I think that maybe the error is to imagine a man that sits around studying scripture all the time. Mm-hmm. Is, that's not what I see. I see someone who's like my, like my brother-in-law. Who spends uh, a lot of time working and doing things for other people, busy work that has no spiritual context right. at all, right? Um, and expressing himself that way, uh, as you see men like Karlbach, and you see the reasons that we know Karlbach is not because of characteristics, but because of action. The exactly. We know is not because of characteristics but because of the things that he did. He has, a, he has a reputation for doing things. Precisely. And that's exactly what I'm, what I'm, I'm trying to bring out. Exactly. Oh, psh, there it is. The, I mean, just two great sages that everyone's familiar with, Rashi and Rambam. And, and I would say uh, more so with the Sephardic influence of being very active in the government, the yes. uh, economics, your merchants, your doctors, your... Uh, powerful people working very hard, but your goal is to be the most ethical doctor, the most ethical lawyer, the most ethical whatever, uh, to the least of people. Amen. On top of, on top of like, excelling in Torah study, and excelling in being a community leader, because those two things, A, um, are, are easy to, to separate, and you see that a lot where someone just focuses on, on Torah study, and they have no usefulness in the world, right. or vice versa. They just focus on the... On, on, gaining a livelihood, and they fall, fall, fall away because there's no connection to God. And I think that's really the uh, picture of a Zadi who can balance those and be the most ethical worker, but the most spiritual student as well. That's excellent. Um, I, I think Rambam's a great example. Here's a doctor, you know, and he, he's, he's caring for some great people. And his his methodology and his work ethic were extraordinary. And the, and the guy rarely went to bed. You know, he was up so late um, ministering and, and helping people. 
Okay. So, let's look at just a couple of scripture references and see if we can't tie um, some of this together um, with what the scripture says. I don't. I think you know we got the the Psalm one thing, um, and that's good. Um, I was uh, I was reminded of the morning prayers, and uh, we do this on. Uh, on the Sabbath, uh, by the mouth of the upright shall you be lauded. And I was I was praying this the other day, and I thought to myself, He expects that. It's the upright that will laud Him. But that almost implies not being by yourself. By the words of the righteous shall you be blessed. By the tongue of the devout shall you be exalted, and amid the holy shall you be sanctified. Well, that's when a bunch of holy people get together. But that's the only one that would be necessarily with men of like mind and faith. So, um, something to think on. Um, If you've got the scriptures, uh, I've got just a couple here um, that I wanted us to look at. In Genesis chapter uh, 25, Around, uh, around verse 27, we read about Jacob there. If somebody can uh, read me. I think it's the, uh, it's the difference between uh, Esau and Jacob. Is that what it is? What do you got, son? When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. I think that's noteworthy. Especially when I'm juxtaposing... Esau, or Edom, and Israel, if you will. Um, Isaiah thirty-two eighteen. Isaiah thirty-two. I think it's eighteen. I think this is a promise from God regarding His people. You got it. Who's got it? You got it. What do you got? Peaceable, quiet, restful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just think that if there's a whole bunch of strife going on, um, I was talking to uh, a gentleman on Sunday, and I was a uh, shotgun safety officer at the range, and um, he asked about my family, I asked about his family, and, uh, and it came out that uh, his... His house is is very noisy and, uh, as he described it, always in turmoil because his two daughters are constantly fighting with one another. And um, I'm grateful that uh, that does not appear to be the case in my home, and I don't think it is in most of your homes. Um, I, I think that peaceableness and that quietness is an outgrowth of who we are. And it's interesting that uh, that God uh, seems to be promising this type of setting to his people. And I, I, I wonder, is he promising that is something he will do? Or is he sort of prophesying that that will be the case if you live out according to his commands and 
do what he's already said to do. Um, I don't have First Thessalonians, but I had First Timothy. So you hold First Thessalonians for a second, which um, I actually was looking for earlier. Um, but I do have First Timothy chapter two, the first two verses. Um, I think it's talking about praying for uh, for the government and all that kind of stuff, and 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 it gives us a purpose or reason for the prayer that we would, in fact, be praying for a certain type of life. Who's got that? Can you pick it? Is that verse 2? Yeah. No, give me 1 and 2. Therefore, I exert first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That includes our president. And you got 2 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians? But we urge you to aspire to live quietly. Back to what you were saying. Doing work. That same promise given to Israel is in Jeremiah. Um, If somebody can grab Jeremiah 30, verse 10, somebody else can grab Jeremiah 46, verse 27. Um, I kind of thought it was kind of cool. They're both the same. That's cool. Jeremiah 46-27 is exactly the same verbatim. I mean, I just got one more thing in there about the Lord or one less, but it's it's the same deal. So um, the Lord seems to be promising that um, we should have this this quiet kind of life and it it shouldn't be filled with a bunch of turmoil. So how does your life differ from that? What's what's not there? What is there? is Is that your... Is that what's happening to you guys? Or do you need help? Or do you think that it's all just that old Bible stuff and it really doesn't apply now? So what's what's the deal? Are you out there working and doing or So we're going to isolate. That's right. But in my response, 
not necessarily being uh, bringing shame to Messiah, but rather that I that I corrupt myself by my response. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Uh, which seems totally backwards from the way that evangelical Christianity in, in the 20th century has approached the world. Exactly. And in, in fact, it, and in fact, that was my one one of my my. My points that I was trying to bring up was no, no, it's fine. You, you segued perfectly into it. Is that, I, you know, I was I was raised to believe that if if my faith is real, then I'll be out there pounding on doors and and screaming at the top of my lungs that Yeshua is Lord. Now, and I do believe that He is in fact Lord, and I do believe that we should be evangelizing. But that quiet, peaceable life that we're commanded to have, or that Paul is praying the Thessalonians will have, or, or that would avoid me corrupting myself, doesn't appear to be in line so with one that. Of the, one of the things for the last month that I've been thinking about and trying to concentrate on is not big and grand things for God, but simply responding to people in interaction in a way that what comes out of me as tested, mm. loving kindness, mm. mercy. And Regardless of whatever, however they respond, what comes out of me is chesed, and it's it's remarkable. I mean, I've, I've, I'm not successful all the time, but what's remarkable is this sense of accomplishment, little things like that. Uh, that that it's uh, seeing that in fact the presence of God is brought by the small things that we do and the right. small things that we say. Um, into the lives of other people that are that otherwise you know have no contact with with righteousness, right? Just small things. And you know, I, I think it's at that point where that cliche that the church uses that you may be the only Bible that some some non-believer ever reads. I, I believe that's where that can possibly not, come to pass. Time to give them the whole Bible. That's right. Give them a little. That's it. Smile. This guy's this guy's different. Yeah. What what is it that's different? And they may not ask that, but there's something there. Good. You actually clean up the environment just by being there. Then, That's that, salt and light. Or certainly salt. Where I tried challenging someone over something because it was offending me, and I think it just really like screwed up the relationship mm. um, to the point where I don't know now when I don't use foul language. I'm not so sure that that person sees it as a good thing. I think they just see me as this sort of stuck-up, self-righteous person. Right. So it's like there's this awkward balance, and that's one reason why I mentioned Hillel in his balancing of his strength when he debated Shemai, but that real sense of gentleness when he met with the convert. Because we do have to be resolute in what we believe and not compromise, but we have to convey it in a way that 
Yeshua was the best at this. The same Yeshua who walked into the temple and threw chairs around is the same man who sat at the you know, tax collector's dinner table with all of his pagan friends. So the Pharisees are looking at him going, wait, wait, what are you doing? Sure. And we don't, I don't know that I get the impression that Yeshua was... Um, he wasn't there for evangelism. He wasn't yelling at people. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't in their face. Now I don't doubt that they was asked. He was. He was I'm sure he was telling them what they were sure. supposed to be doing. He was talking about being the physician of the yeah. sick. Well, yeah. but even the, even the woman at the well drew people. Yeah. Not that pushed them away. Yeah, the woman at the well. I mean, to me, that's that's an even better example in that, you know, he just very truthful, very compassionate, very open, very honest not shunning her the way she had been shunned by Jews previously, you know. And he also, he, he looked for an invitation in that one. That's another thing, too, that, that I think I find really important, especially when dealing with the world. The world, believe it or not, actually oftentimes wants to give you invitations to talk. Because you're weird. You've already experienced That's this. it, yeah. That's They're exactly confused. right. But when, sometimes when we beat the door down, we close them off to wanting to hear from us. One of the old sayings that I've heard before in the past is, you know, um, you may be the only, you know, gospel they'll ever hear. Right. But that's the hearing part, right? My response is that if you handle it improperly, you could be the last gospel they listen to. That's right. That's exactly right. I think I had you first. I was just going to say, yes, that, that was a good point, but um, I think it's important also to just recognize the balance between somebody who should know better and somebody that doesn't know any better. Because I've found in my own life, whenever you're trying to talk with somebody about a particular issue, it, it, it's clear that the Apostles and Yeshua were pretty strong with people who should know better. And typically right. they would say something like, have you not read, like, you, you shouldn't, I shouldn't even need to tell you this because you should know it already. And then that takes weight off of you like I know better and, and you don't know what you're doing it's almost like I'm just referring you back to the Bible really is all you're doing right. and then with the case with somebody that doesn't know it is amazing how far a little love and compassion and mercy goes when especially in a cruel and cold world yeah yeah, and, and especially I, I've found a lot of times that um, even just recently somebody who has heard it all from like Christians or, or from from whoever, just like, oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. But no one ever recognized like what you were doing is wrong. It's not that you're wrong. It wasn't that Yeshua said, you know, go and change your entire personality. He just said, go and sin no more. Just stop doing what you're doing. That's all it is. We're, you know, instead of making it so personal just recognizing, like, this is just a particular action, and then even reminding them, you're not defined by this action, which is often associated with just the whole homosexuality. It's like, this is all we're talking about is an action here, and yet they're trying to put it on, like, this label and everything, and right. it's almost our responsibility to just remind people, this, this is just something that goes against the Bible. We're not talking about you going against the Bible in this case. This is clearly just an action. Yeah. But that's not actually, if you want to talk about that, then that's the part of who they are. So when they respond that way, so but why, why do they think that? That was my point. Like, it's because the world is born, born that way. They think they're born that way. Yeah, they think that they're born saying. that way. So if you it's say this is not their, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, going back to this 
kind of touching on a couple of examples here. One example that happened with my wife uh, this, this past school year. Uh, you know, we were part of the CC homeschool uh, group in Rock Hill. A lot of great Christian people. You know, we were good godly So they were having a, uh, a tutor meeting and meeting at uh, some pizza place or whatever one night. And this was like a couple weeks before Christmas. So Gabby, being one of the tutors in the group, goes to this meeting and it's a lot of the other moms and ladies in the group. And there was a particular lady, a particular family that was new this year. And, and Gabby hadn't really gotten a chance to really get to know the, the mom. So she shows up at this pizza place uh, and this new lady is kind of kind of there, and she's like, "Oh, how you doing?" And you know, a little small talk, and she's like, "So, you guys all ready for Christmas?" Yeah, and, and of course, Gabby, and you got to know my wife. My my wife does not like to do anything that kind of makes any waves with anybody. You know, that's just her personality. And then, but she's but she's she's getting more comfortable. With it, you know? But. She, so this lady says, you know, so y'all ready for Christmas? And immediately Gabby's thinking, I don't even know this lady, and here I go with it. Here I go. You know? <laughs> and so Gabby's like, um, well, we don't celebrate Christmas. And this lady, I mean, you know, because she's thinking everybody here is good Christians, right? And she was totally not expecting this. <laughs> and, and she's like, so all ready for Christmas? <laughs> just like you saw the jaws drop, and it's like this lady was like had literally did not know what to say. Like she just stood there, like her, sure, you know, and she walks off, and, and Gabby's like, <laughs> "Way to go, Gabby!" <laughs> so fast forward, you know, a few months later. Okay, now we're wrapping up the semester, and they're doing a spring uh, picnic thing. And it happens to it happens to be during the week of unleavened bread. Okay, well, what do, what do they what does the group buy for my pizza? So so Gabby and the kids go to this picnic thing, right? And they show up Matzo pizzas. Pizza, sure. You know, other stuff. And of course they've got regular pizza and cake and all kinds of you know cookies and all kinds of and she ends up sitting down at this picnic table, and the same lady <gasps> that she... At the picnic table? It's, ends up sitting down next to her, right? So everybody's passing out pizza, and they're like trying to... Well, here, you want a piece of pizza? And Gabby's like, uh, no thanks, we're, we're fine, you know. And she's handing out the matzo pizza to Benjamin and Andrea, and, you know. And, you know, everybody's kind of looking at her, and, you know, and then... Like, you, you guys want some pizza? Plenty of pizza? No, we're, we're, we're good. We, we're fine. Yeah. Kate comes around. You want some cake? No, no, we're fine. Yeah, yeah. And finally, these people realize, okay, and they start asking, well, oh, diet, sugar. You're trying to, not, no sugar, you know, what, you, what, you know. And they're just <laughs> trying to guess. <laughs> well, no, it's the week of unleavened bread. We don't eat leaven. You know, and this is the same lady, you know, and a couple other ladies sitting at the table, too. Well, then the next thing you know, an hour later... She's still going, right? Abby's, you know, they're just, like, asking questions. And, you know. But the point is this, 
you know, and Gabby said, she goes, I almost decided not to go because I knew, I knew, you know, we weren't going to be able to eat anything, or, you know, it's just going to be awkward. She goes, I almost decided not to go. But that's an example where she went, and because we're committed to observe the Torah to the best of our ability, it causes her to stick out to be different, yeah. and it causes people to inquire. Right? And, and and that's why, you know, you guys have probably heard me say this before, and you probably heard me say it again. The old cliche, and it's a cliche, but I, I think there's a lot of truth in it, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if you have to, speak. Because our lifestyle and how we live should cause people to take notice, and it should cause them to come ask us. And then we have the opportunity to share, right? So, But I suspect that Gabby didn't go that day to effort to convince us. Absolutely and, not. And, and one of the things that I think that is different than what, what we, I think we've been describing are actions that are, that are not a means to an end, but simply the expression of you know, and I like the Hasidic idea of, you know, sparks, gathering sparks. And the, idea, the idea that even a small bit of godliness in a, in a room is good. And it's good enough. And, and the idea that every, otherwise, not, not, to be, not to denigrate others, but it seems like a lot of times some people are just doing stuff because, well, it's all part of, you know, I've got to make, make an end so that people will listen to what I have to say or whatever else, as opposed to, I could walk away from this today, having revealed a little bit of God's character to you, and satisfied that if we never meet again, that's okay. Amen. I, I think sometimes it's easy to see the preaching of the gospel as any other commandment, and almost treat it the same way that the Pharisees treated something like fasting or you know wearing their their tefillin where they're doing it so publicly and trying to make everybody see what they're doing because this is part of keeping the commandment and that's just doing it for the wrong reason. That doesn't demonstrate any desire for discipleship or desire to show someone love and compassion. So I, it, there's just a, a difference there. It's in the same, on the same vein. Um, Mark Kinsner, I think most of us know who he is. In his in his book, post post missionary messianic Judaism, uh, and I don't agree with Mark Kinsner on anything, but there's one point he makes in that book where he is, and that is he, he talks about how in a lot of messianic circles, the idea of keeping Torah is expressed for the purpose of trying to have an opportunity to witness to a Jew. Not because you actually really believe it's the right thing right. To, to do or to live by. And he makes a really good case, which I wholeheartedly agree with, that that is just, it's, I mean, it's false pretense, it's, I mean, there's a long history that we can use, but it's for somebody to Quote, unquote, keep the Torah so that they can have an opportunity to witness to a Jew. Duplicitous. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, I mean, I don't even get started. The point, the point is, we 
should keep the Torah because we truly believe that's the life we live according to Scripture. As, for no other, if, you as, if you don't believe it, as believers, yeah, don't do it. That's wrong. Amen. Don't do it. This reminds me of um, the thing that Rabbi Nachman was really big on. Uh, in his context, it's actually in um, guarding the eyes and uh, fighting against the Yetzer uh, Hurrah. Hurrah, and, and focusing, particularly with young men who, who just. And this is years ago, right? That had a hard time with just guarding their eyes. And, and he would he would encourage them by saying ankles. Uh, ankles, of course. But he would, he would also say, um, you're focusing too much on your your evil inclination. You're imagining yourself with having this epic battle between you and your evil side. You're putting all this focus and all this energy into this um, maybe eventually making a triumphal battle and conquering it. So that, you're almost making an idol out of your own effort to combat your own wickedness. He says, that is not what fighting evil from yourself or from the world should look like. All that is is a distraction from living your life, focusing on how do I worship and how do I live for Hashem today. That is how you uh, successfully, is, is the way you put it, um, guard your eyes is by just keeping them focused on Hashem. I think Paul says the exact same thing. Keep those right. eyes focused on Yeshua. The author and finisher. As you run that race. So, yeah. so I, and that's really the... Uh, and you can use that same principle with um, how you witness to people as well. You can make an epic battle or an, an, a uh, opportunity so, so, uh, so, so raised on a pedestal that you forget just to keep, keep your life... Sure. Uh, in an authentic way. Amen. I was uh, privileged to have a few hours with uh, an ambassador for Christ. He works for ambassadors for Christ um, out of Atlanta. Not that you're all not ambassadors for Christ, but he, he was official as an ambassador for Christ. And uh, had the card and everything. So. But he was a great godly man. And I was, uh, he changed my life. Uh, very impressive. And uh, he recounted uh, a, a personal struggle uh, that he had uh, conquered fairly recently. And um, this is many years ago. And uh, I said, uh, to what did you attribute your success? He said, uh, now, of course, he doesn't know Yetzer Hurrah from Yetzer Torah. He doesn't know any of that, right? No. So it's, it's spirit and flesh in his mind, and, and that's fine. Um, s- semantics uh, to a certain degree. But uh, uh, he said... Uh, I spent more time feeding the correct side. And he saw the battle not, as you said, not to you know, struggle one against the other, but rather, just don't feed that side. And he focused on feeding his spirit and not his flesh. And uh, what, a, what a great way of looking at it, to, to understand... It's up to me. I make the choice. I'm, I'm the one diverting my eyes, or not, most of the time. Uh, it's a harmless glance. God made this woman beautiful anyway. God brought her across my path so that I might be able... Yeah. yeah, it's just nothing but a bunch of righteous crap. That's exactly what that is. So just mark that down. You were going to say? <laughs> It's the outside, right?
Okay, so I, I heard a couple things. Um, I, I think probably the uh, the one that, that hits home for me uh, personally, uh, I think you brought up, Greg, that in this walk, as we choose to be obedient as best we can, it, I, I'm, I assume it's the same in your life, but in my life, I don't think I ever had as many people out of the blue walk right up to me, not knowing me from a hole in a wall, and asking me about my faith. That's astonishing. And if you go into Gleberman's, it's even better, you know? But what, what an amazing thing to have people just, like they did with Gabby. Okay, well, tell me about your faith. Wait a minute, I just want to relish the moment for a second. I just had somebody ask me to tell them about my faith. It's amazing. Yes. Without having to say anything. I mean, my situation in my work, I'm one, of, one of the partners of the law firm I work at is Jewish. He went to bat for me to get Shabbat off. And I didn't even ask him to. Now, that's amazing. That is God there, buddy. Moving in the heart of that man. No question. So, but it's more, I think, than just coincidence. It's like I, I think about the fact that um, uh, in this room you've had four different rabbis, Orthodox at that, Orthodox rabbis, and not only come and discuss, but I can think of at least three of them that were unbelievably comfortable. Yeah. To the point of we're basically all family, you know. I'll I'll tell you what I would have told the shul, and that kind of, I mean, I'm just thinking. How many ministries out there envy yeah. that kind of opportunity? And yet, how does it happen? It didn't happen by, um, you know, by going out on message boards and, and putting up, you know, things. Jesus saves. It didn't. It didn't happen by wearing T-shirts at the mall. Right. It happened because you followed the Torah. Yeah, that's exactly then, right. Like Paul said, it stood out. Well, you know, to your point, um, we've we've seen a. Uh, an opportunity to develop relationships with the Orthodox. Um, and I would go so far as to even say the conservative Jews. And while I am not a fan of friendship evangelism and, and building these huge bridges and whatnot, I do think that no man wants to spend any time speaking with an ass. If we are cordial, friendly, and we don't compromise our faith, I think men respond. So on the Orthodox side, I, I see that. And God willing and by His grace, there, there's going to be opportunities to, to speak about our Messiah. But I'm, I'm taken by the conservative or the Reformed Jews. Those guys are fun because we actually get to live out the scripture that says that our walk, not our faith, but our walk, will make the Jew jealous. Man, I tell you what, if there were ever a poster child verse for keeping the Torah, 
That's it. Because I've seen that. Joseph, your family is more observant than mine. You're more religious than I am. That's true. Why is that? But it only works if you don't make that your motive. Precisely. But part of the problem is, though, and I, I, I don't agree completely that others would be envious of that. The reason why is because if you don't close a deal, you've got nothing. Because they're in it for the belt notch. That's right. And my perspective, and maybe I'm wrong, but my perspective is I'm not talking about closing a deal. I'm talking about expressing the righteousness of God in every moment of the day. Exactly. And, if it, and if people gain something from that, then that's... Praise awesome. God. But it's not about trying to close any deal. Because right. if that were what it was, it'd be written across the sky so that God could close the deal for everybody. Yeah, and, and the, the, the sad reality is... You can't close the deal anyway. It's not you to close the deal. Well, actually, I'm not interested. See, I'm, again, maybe, that's, maybe I'm wrong. But no, I'm not interested in closing anything. I think, I think we're all agreeing with you. Things. Yeah, I'm just, I just want a little piece. I'm just pointing out that the folks that do want to close the deal can't close the deal anyway. It is not up to them. It's not even, evidently, up to the person that they're talking to. It's not even up to me for me. Right. <laughs> I guess I'm just thinking about the fact that regardless of what deals were closed or not closed, um, not only did the rabbis come into this house, but they left encouraged. Amen. They left right. feeling like there are people out there that love us. There are people out there that want to follow Hashem. There's a handful of Gentiles that don't want to kill us. You know, so my, 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 my boss's background, he grew up in And he's fighting for a Gentile to keep Shabbat. Yeah. Praise God. So, I mean, you know, that was his opportunity to keep a mitzvah on my behalf without me even having to ask him to. That's right. So by living my life without trying to convert him or change him or tell him anything, he got to keep a mitzvah almost by accident. That's right. Simply because I was there. And that's, I think, what Hashem really wants from us. And that's the idea of preparing the world. It's the idea that it's not about... Um, you know, sealing the rift between time and space. It's about doing all of these things, whether they're big or whether they're small, whatever they might happen to be. But in every action, there was a mark. There was an impact made. And it could be as simple as the fact that, you know, I had a, when I worked at Staples, I had customers come in that were just friendly. And you know what? That made my day. Amen. And I felt so encouraged. And God was pleased by that. And that was incredibly small. I'm talking about like a, what, a 30-second conversation. They simply were friendly. I mean, how simple is that? Yeah, like I said, in a, in a cruel world, it's different. You can see somebody in an accident, you go and rescue them, and be killed by a passing car. Mm-hmm. And it's a little thing that may have a big impact. And that's what I'm saying. Instead of measuring always, well, where am I going to put all my energy because I want the biggest bang for the buck? You know, how am I going to spend my life? I want the biggest bang for the buck instead of recognizing that every moment had, provides opportunity for just a little bit of righteousness. I am convinced, men, that, and, and you know, I've, I've got it in the tagline of my email from time to time, you know, he, it's, it's, it's the moment-by-moment decisions, whether it's with your family or it's with your boss or it's with your, the, your people you meet at Harris Teeter. How are you going to react? What's going to come out of the mouth? 
what's going to be the response when, when, the, when the fat woman comes by with the shopping cart and rolls over your foot? You know, what, what's the response, right? That's, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the faith comes out. I mean, when you squeeze the grape, what do you get? I mean, you don't know what it's, what's inside the grape till it gets squeezed or crushed. Just to tag along to your point, I think that's why Scripture focuses so much on what society would call the little people, like the poor and the widow and the orphan. And because if you were always focused, and it doesn't talk about like the big leaders and the kings of other nations trying to convert them. In fact, most of the time it talks about utterly destroying them and wiping everything out. Because there's usually no hope for them. But it always talks about, and even in this portion, talks about, you know, the fatherless and the widow, and that is what, it, you, you have to be looking for that. It's not going to be televised. It's not going to be advertised to you like, hey, w- widow right here needs help. Mm-hmm. These are people that are just quietly going along their lives, just wondering if anyone would ever recognize them. I don't think, to, I, don't, I don't agree. I don't think they're wondering if anyone re- would recognize them. I think they're just plodding through life doing the best they can. I don't, I don't think they're thinking about other people noticing them at all. And that's part of the problem. They've already given up on the world. They've already given up on people wondering, you know, or, or looking to help them. They're, they're already heads down just... That's right. Can, am I going to make it through this day? How am I going to pay the rent at the end of the month? You know, what am I going to do with my kids? You know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Praise God. And that's, I guess, and that, and that's not the goal that we're looking for. I think that's something that Dad was saying, is, and I think that's the thing, and that's what I think makes it stand out almost. When you live your life to please Hashem, to act like Hashem, to know Hashem more, when you live your life in love and fear of Hashem, then it will end up drawing people. It will end up impacting people. But sometimes. It won't happen because of some dramatic thing you did or didn't do. I mean, one of the most classic examples is, um, you know, in the story of May Saint. And here comes this guy, and he goes, pours his life into, you know, this forsaken part of the world trying to spread the gospel. And they killed him because they didn't understand. They thought he was stealing their souls in pictures or something like that. After he dies, all of a sudden, there's this huge harvest of people who saw God's love poured out by his family who forgave them and by um, and, and see the sacrifice that he had made. So all that point, up to that point, it would be easy to look at it and say, what a waste, because it achieved nothing. But see, that's the difference, is that we don't need to look at the achievement. I think that when I look at Paul, Paul says, you know, forgetting what lies behind, striving towards the, striving towards the goal... You know, he talks about how everything is worthless compared to the knowledge of Messiah. So, essentially, it's like you were talking, Jonathan. We get so caught up sometimes in trying to achieve things, in trying to do things, 
that we miss the fact that all God called us to is right now. Amen. We don't have tomorrow. The past is already done with. We just need to live right now in honoring Hashem. And that's got to be your motive. I, I, uh, I, I do want to encourage you, especially um, since, you know, other, other than he and I, um, we, and you, you know, we, we got a lot of years on you guys. Um, he, is, he is pretty young, actually. Um, um, but, you know, the, the, uh, the adage, uh, be careful what you wish for when you're 20, because you'll have it when you're 40. Um, I, I really want to encourage you. The, the, the thing that was going through my, my mind as I, I kind of put the framework in this class was for you younger men, um, if, if I had it to do again, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be concentrating on those little things, the day in, day out, responses, the, the actions, uh, and so forth, so that over time I would build a reputation to be a certain man. And, and in so doing, I would become that man. And I, I think the only reason why we can read books about these sages is that they weren't written when the guys were young. They spent their years doing good works. They walked the walk in every thought and in every deed. And when they messed up, they, they berated themselves to the, enough to correct the behavior and go out and try it again and again until it became a habit and it became a reputation and it became the books we read. And I really want to encourage you to do that uh, in, in every way. And, and I don't know how to I don't know how to encourage you to do that, other than to say what I just said. So, um, Peter wrote um, the apostle, um, not him. Also, he's such a good. He's a, he's a great guy. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's good name. Good name. First um, Peter three, uh, verse thirteen. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Messiah, the Lord, as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Messiah may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So, there it is. Um, and I think, I think that's a good point, because um, some people will see our lifestyle, our actions, and be intrigued and ask questions. And they're the fun ones. And some people will be offended. You bet. And we don't get to determine what who's going to respond how. All we've got to do is keep doing what we're doing. That's right. I just walked that walk. Yeah. And remember that it's not because of us that they're offended. Well, it's because of who we hopefully, 
Hopefully, that's the case. I, I can sadly tell you that more often than not in my life, they're offended because I'm an idiot and I'm from New York, rather than because I'm, I'm walking the walk of Messiah and, and being uh, true to his commands and consistent with, with my gentleness and meekness and character that I'm uh, working on tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, good. Thank you. That was a great discussion. Um, so some, some quick uh, housekeeping things, if I can. So just kind of um, hear me out here. Um, I'm looking to try and, and make um, the remainder of our, our year um, the 20th? Is it the 20th of uh, uh, off? Yeah, 19th, 20th. We're right in there, right? I mean, I got it on the calendar, but it's, it's right around the 19th or 20th. It's the 19th. Okay, so that means in, you know, 10, 11 days, uh, we hit Elul, right? And uh, Elul is, is, is the runway, guys. So um, uh, this week, I will get out an email to Bellatora to make it clear. We are going to get together and pray. Um, and I, I am looking forward to that. And I hope that we'll have a minion, and it'll be great. Um, I asked uh, my wife if uh, for Rosh Hashanah, um, in, in addition to getting together for a great meal and, uh, and praying Minka and doing the uh, Tashlik service, um, you know, since we have the park all day, maybe we could get together and, and have a true Shakarit service out there as well. And, you know, she's looking at me like, um, you know, it, no, that, no. So... I mean, it's a, it's a Shabbat. I'm not going to be going anywhere, so I'm planning on getting there early. And, you know, if we got a minion, we got a minion. If we don't have a minion, we don't have a minion. Um, but anyway, what I'm going to do is lay out, we're, we're going to pray this day. There's going to be an Erev Yom Kippur service again, which I'm still in awe. We must have had 30, 35 people last year. Um, um, lots of white, yeah. Um, for uh, Sukkot, um, as we begin Sukkot, um, we're going to start here uh, with a uh, soup and sukkah party and all of that to kind of kick that off. Uh, and uh, Alan's going to try and go with the ladies and see if we can't do it. And with uh, some of you uh, single guys and see if we can't do uh, a sequential sukkah um, get-together. That's not all one night like a progressive, but sequential. Like Monday night, maybe we'll be over at the uh, Bartosis. And Tuesday night, maybe we'll be over at, uh, you know, the Uppams. And Wednesday night, maybe we'll be over at the Spring, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, if you guys want to sign up for that, great. If you're not going to build a sukkah, shame on you. Let me help you, you know, even if it's small and you can stick your head in there, we'll do something. Um, so I'm going to try and lay out all the time so that we can maximize our, our, our opportunities to get together because, we all have other family that we're going to be dealing with. Some of us may go out of town and you know, all that kind of stuff. So at least when you know what the dates are and we get it out two months in advance, um, maybe we can, we can maximize that. So that's coming up. It really is. And actually, there's some tremendous mitzvahs that you can, you can, you can grab there for those who don't regularly keep the Torah or you know, Torah-sensitive. Seminary, who's been keeping the Torah, uh, who unfortunately has no room for a sukkah, 
So uh, living in an apartment. So there's at least one guy. There we go. Yeah. Have them every. Yeah. Well, he's. <laughs> but not what he's getting yeah. like. But uh, he's 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 come here once before. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah tail. So anyway. Um, that's that's that. So the calendar's coming up, but again, if if you if you can't picture the the calendar in your head, we got in about a, a week and a half, we begin the 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 runway of the month where you blow the shofar every day and you're preparing for um, Rosh Hashanah. Um, I'm trying to make the class really about an hour, hour and a half class rather than two separate hours so you guys can out earlier. Um, so you're more inclined to uh, take time out of your day because I'm, I'm, I want to be sensitive to that. Um, I, I need a show of hands on whether you'd be interested in, if not every week, from time to time, starting with uh, Ma'ariv prayers or closing with Ma'ariv prayers. Yeah? Yes? 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 Cool. Okay. I mean, they're real short, but um, they're, um, we almost always have a minion. And it really would be kind of cool to, to be able to, to pray that. So, um, good. Okay. And the last thing on class, because we've only got like a lul, and then we, you know, we're, we're done with 5772, and it'll be, you know, after Sukkot and all of that that we kick back on again. Um, but for next year, um, I really want to try and focus on the young guys that are just starting, um, that haven't heard a whole lot of stuff, and I'd like to get some of the guys that have been here for years to start teaching. So um, get your button gear and, and step up. Um, my, my desire originally was, um, since you may not have um, regular practice teaching, that you would teach, and then either then or the next week, We'd give you feedback on your teaching style, how you prepared the class, you know, what was good, what was bad, what was ugly. You know, did you just read your slides? Stupid, let's fix that. You know, um, um, but some of us actually speak for a living. So, you know, we can help so that we can help polish that if that's, uh, if that's something you want to do. Um, but you've got to step up to do that. Next week is... Uh, hmm? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I beg your pardon, sir. I mean, I would be interested in getting some feedback on, uh, with respect to teaching, are, are there particular topics, particular things, questions, whatever, that people would like to do class on people you know that you think would be useful i mean it's uh, it so would be great i'll put that in the uh in the write-up on men of torah um it would be really great if everybody just kind of responded online so we could all see those things and 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 put those uh i do have a couple of you know traditional type things that i'd love if you would you know, spend less than half a year studying so that you can teach. But you know, it seems to be worth the time when you put into it. Both of you actually. Um, but yeah, that that's a that's a great point. So yeah, we got to get the topics out there. I I do think that there's a there's a lot of wisdom in 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 the men that come, 
and we have uh, a tremendous opportunity to take advantage of that. And I, I really think we're foolish if we don't. So. so your question, what would we like to be taught? Well, no, I mean, kind of. But it's, it's, I mean, are there specific uh, topics or subject matter that... As a class, we want, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, what a great perspective. Discussions on specific topics or history, history whatever, you know. Or Talmud yeah. or, or, or a particular book, you know, study like we had with mm -hmm. uh, First John. With First John, so and what, what and are the purity review? Yeah, I, yeah, I would, I, I'd, I'd love for us to put together just a long list so everybody could just say, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab that. I'm gonna do that. That kind of thing. Um, um, my plan is, um, I'd like to finish walking through the Book of Acts and see what's there, because um, I've been slowly walking through that. Um, but these books on the sages are incredible. So if uh, if we get a, a a is it Darth dearth a dearth is it a lot or a few a dearth if we get a dearth of topics. Um, we're just going to study one of these guys and, and hear about, you know, maybe the Vilna Gaon or whatever. Um, but that's, that's what we'll do. With. Great, great point to, to get us to ask for those. Um, you want to you wanna talk about the Tenaim uh, deal here, or do you want me to do it? Because I, I have Juliana's email to me. Um, I, can, I can introduce it and then you can the Sounds good. It's a week. Come on, that's it's like an eternity. Kind of uh, for us, it was uh, I guess um, almost last minute. It was I'm just getting away put together. So tenayim service. Um, tenayim in Judaism is the principle. Um, it's related to the concept of the way that they used to handle betrothal. And initially in Judaism, maybe centuries ago, there was the concept of you you kind of got betrothed, and there was a ceremony for that. And then you were essentially considered married until the act, but not completely until the actual wedding. Today in Judaism, they don't do that. Um, instead, they unite the two ceremonies in the wedding ceremony in the, under the chuppah. But in replace of this betrothal ceremony, they've created an engagement ceremony, which is similar, um, and which is done once you have a wedding date set. And essentially, the way that it boils down to is it's an opportunity for the couple to announce their wedding date, to announce their intention to marry, and also to sign a contract. And the contract is similar to the ketubah, um, although it's less about, um, it's, it's a, little, a little bit different than the ketubah. It's uh, probably a little, maybe a little more broad or more um, detailed on the wedding and other types of things. So it kind of explains who's going to be doing what, when the wedding date is, how, what their vision for their home will be, all that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's, it's more two-sided compared to the ketubah. Yeah, the ketubah is essentially the man's responsibility to take care of his wife. Yeah. The Tanaim contract is more, this is our vision for our home, and how we, as a couple, want to lead it, and how that will look like. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the idea behind it. Um, that is going to take place next Tuesday. One of the things that we wanted to do, um, because it's going to be, of us, Juliana and I, 
we wanted to also give an opportunity for other couples. So we, were, we decided to kind of get out and invite um, your wives as well. Um, yeah, this will not be a kid event. So if you get kids, we need, we need to get sitters there. Um, but and you're not obligated to bring your children or not bring your children. Or wives, you bring them. <laughs> not bring the kids. Don't have to bring the wife unless you want to, unless she wants to, or you know, if you want to stay home and take care of the kids, she can come. I don't know, whatever. But the point being is we wanted to open up the opportunity so that it was more than just the men um, to kind of see something that hasn't really been done in our community yet. Um, and uh, so... It's kind of the opportunity thing you didn't have. I mean, I had never really heard about it before until well, about almost a year ago, I guess, when we first started talking about it. Um, and now it's finally the opportunity to put it into effect. So that's a week from today. Kind of, um, it won't be real long, but just kind of a, a short ceremony and then kind of some discussion. So the idea is, if you remember, uh, I think the, the week before Gregory got married, we all kind of gave him some guidance, some counsel, some strong encouragement and so forth. Um, it, it, it'd be along the same lines, um, but the desire is to have the, the the brides there as well to give you know both sides um, counsel, wisdom, wise words, and that kind of deal. So um, that's that's the uh, that's the idea, and that's next Tuesday. So it is a it is here and it is a couples' night. And there will be wine. There will be wine. Um, they, uh, Juliana wanted me to make sure that we understood this is not a second engagement party. There's no gifts or anything like that. You just come and be prepared to act and sound wise. Okay? Wizened, yes. You could bring some, some uh, wisdom there. And um, if you could uh, be prepared to um, bless the happy couple... Uh, and close us out when when they're done next week. That gives you a week to put together some flowery. Bless them. Yeah, just just. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we were hoping you'd, you'd you know, use Pakistani, but you know if you have to use Hebrew. No, no, no. But you know if you could just you know kind of bless them and close out the night, that'd be great. So you're a fair warning there. So it's. Uh, um, we were thinking of um, allowing Mary and Sophia and Judah, since they're family. Um, but you know, that's uh, that's the dealio. Since since Mary does live here, yeah, and uh, yeah, and Sophia's kind of tiny, so kind uh, <laughs> kind of tiny, right? So uh, so that's the deal, and then you know we'll put that online as well. So um, I. Um, you know, for their sake, I, I relish, God bless you, um, I relish your your comments and wisdom that you can give, especially, you know, if you're, you know, real fresh in it and, you know, you've got some wisdom. stuff that you're... My, my wisdom would be, listen to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's seen this movie now, baby. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Great. Great, 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 great. Um... So I have, uh, did you, have you been playing with this yet? This is, uh, we're, we're doing Dapiomi, so. Yeah, well. Time to start, man. Well, yes, you, you. We're going to do our best. It's hard to play now, the whole seven. Seven years. <laughs> if you could, I mean, you sure. I don't know, I don't know the odds of how long it will take you to get through it.
But if by chance you happen to time it for October 25th, which would give me an excellent reason to break my wedding fast. (laughs) 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 Well, um, it's interesting. I was... uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, you know, to do the cycle as well. And uh, so I'm, I'm done with my morning prayers and read the Aliyah for the, for the day and, and then whip open the uh, Art Scroll Huber thing here. And um, so I, I said, Juliana, what, what folio page am I supposed to be up to here? What, what am I up to now, today? And she goes, I don't know. You know, you just go to Dafyomi and look it up. So I was surprised it's not in there. They don't tell you. Because it always comes back to where you left off. So, uh, you know, I, I look at it, and I'm, I'm pretty thrilled, you know, this morning. Because, you know, I'm on 2B, <laughs> you know. So I said, you know, I'm on 2B. And she goes, well, no, you're, you're way behind. And I said, how can I be way behind? I mean, I think just started, like, a couple of days ago. And she goes, well, they do a whole thing every, I mean, that, it, yeah, A and B every day, you know. I said, oh, well, I did 2A yesterday, and I was thrilled. That was easy, and then I did 2B today. And she goes, nah, you're, you're way behind. So at lunchtime, I got up. Now I'm, I'm up to 4A, and after you guys go. It doesn't have a document. Not that I can find. Oh, it's pretty cool looking. I mean, I, I like, I can't figure it out yet. I mean, I, I, I touch, you know, I don't want the notes on. I do want the notes on. I touch the number. I get the thing. It turns yellow. I say, well, what's, what's up with that? It's yellow, you know. But, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to learn it and, and, and all of that. But that's, yeah, I need to do something. So, but yeah, by the time you guys, you know, we go to bed tonight, I'll, I'll be, I'll be caught up to six and, and then we'll do some. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, I mean, when is night and day and all of that was you know with with three that was the comment starts by asking the question when can we pray the Shema Shema at night and it answers by giving a discussion on food I just like God it's it's unbelievable and 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 I love the way you know you get these things that go well well why did he why did they do that? I mean, why would they ask that? That doesn't make any sense. Then, then it's, this was completely irrelevant and shouldn't have been asked. No! And it comes back. And, yeah, yeah, it's great. So, it, yeah, it's just like having a couple of rabbis sitting at the table. It, it really does make sense, though, because if I recall correctly, don't they base like, the nighttime on the eating or something? Well, it's, it's when the Kohanim... Yeah, or three stars, or the for, for, right when a poor person eats his bread with salt. Right? Oh man, How, I thought that the uh, conversation about the uh, number of watches at night was very cool. How did David say that he woke up in the middle? You know, in the middle watch, unless there's one before and one after. So there's three. Said another rabbi goes, "Yeah, oh, no, no, no. There's four. Because there's two in the middle and one on the ends. Oh man, it's it's just great stuff. But so. they all have scripture to support their. Oh yeah. I mean, they can oh, all yeah. extract you know from scripture their position. Yeah, I'm I'm hitting the mezuzah on the way in and going. There's three or four watches at night. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here it is. It, all it's right. Interesting. You know, I'm, I'm on five days. I'm only a half. Half, 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 half. half. Uh, discussion at 5A this morning, uh, they're talking about being 
uh, free from uh, basically being a slave to sin and comparing it to Egypt. Mm. Which I thought was really cool because you don't really have that language like that in Tanakh. You, have, you see Shaul using that language, right? And, 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 uh, so you see that language in the Apostolic writings, but it was cool to see the same phraseology kicked around in the, uh, you know, in the Gemara. Kind of makes you wonder. Yeah. I bet he was Jewish. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a stretch, but I'm I'm betting that he was Jewish. Mm. May it be your will, Adonai, our God and the God of our forefathers, that you lead us all toward peace and place our footsteps toward peace, guide us toward peace, and bring us all home, these men, in gladness and in peace. May you send blessing in our every handiwork. Grant us grace, kindness, and mercy in your eyes and in the eyes of all who see us. And may you hear the sound of our supplication, because you are God who hears prayer and supplication. Blessed are you, Adonai, who hears prayer. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you.